Welcome to the Where Do I Go From Here podcast, where my guests and I highlight the goodness of God in seasons we were not prepared for. I am your host, Daisha Carter, and the podcast is not just for widows, but for anyone navigating the unwelcome disruptions of life. You are about to enter the room of real life in genuine faith. Thanks for tuning in, and now let's listen and enjoy. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Widow I Go From Here podcast. Today's guest is Robert Carrillo. Robert has been an evangelist for 32 years. He was the CEO for Hope Worldwide for four years and he is currently getting his doctorate in spiritual formation. And he has been my minister for the past three and a half years. With all that Robert has accomplished in ministry and all the work he's done and continues to do for God and his people, I invited Robert to be a guest on the podcast today because he was thrown into a season he was not prepared for the day his mother killed his dad before committing suicide. To see the person Robert is today, you cannot help but notice that this is a man who has discovered that despite what life throws at us, Jesus is always the way. So Robert, thank you for being a guest on the podcast today. Thank you, Daisha. It's great to be with you and I appreciate the work that you're doing and it's an honor to be here with you. Absolutely. So let's just dive right into your story. I guess my first question is, what was life like growing up and for you, and what made you ultimately choose Jesus? Mm, Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a that's a that's a wonderful question. (laughs) Um, You know, uh, so I um, my parents were migrant immigrant workers uh, from Mexico and. um, came to California. And so I grew up in California, I, even though I was actually born in Mexico, but I grew up in California, um, kind of bounced around a lot and and had a lot of experiences that definitely put me on a track or on a path uh, that I'm sure God was always working to get me to come be with him. Yeah. My, my parents, we, we, we moved around a lot on average about every six months from city to city. Um, I, you know, by the time I got to high school, I've been to 18 schools. High school was my 18th school. Um, and I bounced around between, uh, Sacramento, San Jose, San Francisco, San Diego, um, Lake Tahoe, Reno, uh, Carson city, you know, we even Oregon, as far as Oregon. And because we moved a lot and we, and we were poor, um, I oftentimes lived in uh, rough neighborhoods sometimes ghettos, sometimes barrios, sometimes slums, sometimes just crazy places, and even a few times nice places. Uh, but it was it was a pretty rough, in one sense, a pretty rough childhood because we were always on the move. I didn't get to sink roots or make friends. And the hard thing about if, you know, anybody who's grown up or lived, you know, from the barrio or from a ghetto, from a rough neighborhood, you know, you you have your friends and, and those friends protect each other. And that's how you're safe in a dangerous area. 
but I didn't have friends. So it was oftentimes not very safe for me. And um, I got beat up more times than I could count for being the wrong color or from the wrong city or from the wrong part of town. You know, I just, I was always the new kid. So I was easy pickings. And, um, and, and growing up, I, I unfortunately saw a lot of, a fair amount of violence, you know, um, tragedy. My, my uncle who was, when I was little, my mom was a single mom and, and uh, she didn't marry my dad. And that was part of why I was born in Mexico because of the shame in the family. And so she had me and was raising me and then had my little brother um, and a single mom working two jobs, raising us. And uh, one day my little brother right in front of me ran into the street, got hit by a car and um, was killed. He died instantly. And, and that kind of changed our whole lives because up until then we were living in a very traditional Mexican setting. But then my mom married actually the insurance adjuster who came and fell in love with my mom. They got married and he was kind of a gypsy, just moved all the time. So I lived all over the place and, and unfortunately um, in some pretty rough areas. So uh, saw a lot of violence, experienced a lot of violence growing up. And, and um, at first I, you know, I, I got beat up a lot, you know, and, and, um, but as I got older, I got bigger and stronger and tougher. And then I started uh, fighting a lot. By the time I got to high school, we moved to uh, my high school. I started high school in, in Carson City, Nevada, which in that area, you're either a cowboy or you're an Indian one of the two, and I was neither. So I was like, I, I didn't have a tribe to hang out with, you know, and and I definitely didn't fit in with the cowboys. And so I kind of blended in with the Indians, spent a lot of time on the reservation and, you know, fighting and drinking and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So, but something happened, I think, especially on the reservation, I, I saw the need, I saw the poverty and it sparked something inside me when I actually got off to college, which was a miracle, but I went to the University of San Diego and um, I became aware and politically woke up, like politically became aware of I can do something about the world. And, you know, I had I'd already had a lot of guilt on me because of the fights, because of the fighting. I got involved in drugs. I was just I was a bad guy. And part of that large part of that, honestly, was just to defend myself and to be safe, you know, to have a really tough exterior, um, uh, you know, and the interesting thing is, is sometimes when I, when people hear my full story, they say, oh my gosh, you had a horrible life. And I always say, no, actually, I love my life. I tell you what, the, the, the huge blessing I had was I came home to a mom and a dad who loved me and I knew they loved me. And so even though the world was very dangerous, even though even the neighborhood oftentimes would be dangerous, home was safe for me. Home was a haven. So, and I think, you know, a lot of times people will tell me, gosh, everything you've been through, you should be a lot more messed up. <laughs> but, but I think it's because of the love I had from my mom, especially, and my stepdad, uh, that always was an anchor for me. And, and my stepdad really helped me to dream. He was always talking about world history. I mean, I was a kid that dressed like a gangster, ran with gangsters, but who could sit down and talk about the Roman Empire and, and the Greek influence on the Romans, you know, just because of the influence of my stepdad. 
And so when I got to college, I became very aware, politically aware, got involved in the community, became an activist and an organizer, was helping kids in gangs. And, and I really wanted to change the world. I just I caught a vision for the world can be a better place. And I got, I just dived into all kinds of community services and affairs and things to help the, the community. Um, I did about two years of that by the time I was sophomore in college. And I was like, I mean, I was probably putting 20, 30 hours a week in community service, working with kids and gangs, working with orphanages across the border in Tijuana. But little by little, I was getting more and more frustrated and, and just mad about the way people treated each other, even among charity groups, even among the groups that are supposedly making the world a better place. There was just a lot of garbage and backstabbing and com competing and, and, you know, people fighting, organizations fighting over who was going to serve a neighborhood. And, and it was just, I was honestly just getting disgusted with it all and beginning to wonder, is there any hope for our world? Is there anybody have an answer that actually works, you know, the, for to making the world a better place. And that's when I got invited to a Bible study. And, um, and I, you know, I had always believed in God and always had my own little faith, you know, and I'd go to, I actually, I'd go to mass every week, which for a Catholic, that's a lot, you know, uh, I was there every week. And when I was at the University of San Diego is a Catholic university. So I was there, even at mass on Wednesday nights, which is really radical for Catholics. Uh, but, you know, it was really cool, that student mass and a lot of the beautiful singing. So I was, I was beginning to think more and more about God and where is he and does he make a difference? And, and is he going to help the world? Is anything going to happen? And I went to a Bible talk that really challenged me and then I went to his church on Sunday and the sermon was, I think God set this up for me. The sermon was Jesus, the radical. And oh man, that just fired me up. And, and I, I'd never read the Bible. I dove into reading the Bible and that was it. I was, that, I, I was, I was convinced. I was like, he's the answer. He is the way he's the one that can help us. He's the one that can help that the world can be better if we just listen to him. And that's, that's basically how I dived in, you know, and while I was out there doing all this political stuff and community stuff, what I, what I didn't know was my home fell apart and they were up in, in Carson City, Nevada. I was way down in San Diego and I didn't know that my parents were having all kinds of marriage problems. My, my little brother was in trouble and, and um, you know, he was in a lot of ways was following the same path I had been on. And it was just, I, I unfortunately didn't know how bad things were until it was too late to do anything, you know, which was very hard because, of course, I'm out there trying to save the world and then to find out that my home was destroyed, you know, my, my family was destroyed. So that the, the, the life I lived definitely steered me to God, steered me to Jesus, and, and the, the passion that was born in me to make the world a better place, um, it was filled and ignited, you know, when I got to learn about Jesus. That's, 
I was just like, I'm in, I'm, I'm all in, you know, and next thing I knew I was being sent to Mexico city to plant a church, <laughs> even though I didn't speak Spanish. <laughs> wow. 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 Okay. Okay. So there, there's a couple things that's, that's going through my mind right now. One, one is how old was your brother? The one who got hit by a car when he died. He um, was about four and I was about six. Mm. I'm not actually exactly sure, but there's some, some, something like that. He was two years younger than me and I wasn't in school yet. Or yeah, no, I hadn't started school yet. So he was very small. We were playing in the front yard and uh, yeah, he, he was playing with the toy that rolled out into the street and he went out to get it. And a young guy, 17 years old, driving by, just boom, hit him. Didn't see him. It was not his fault at all. Yeah. Nothing he could do. Yeah. Wow. Do you remember how you felt? Like, do you remember that time or yeah. your family talking about it or anything at, at that age? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I remember that day vividly, except the part where my brother got hit by the car. I think I don't, I have no memory of that. And I think God just erased it because I remember him running out the street. And then my next memory is running into the house screaming, you know, and, and, wow. that, and getting my mom. But um, it was, it was really scary. And it went from scary losing my brother to scary our world changing because at that point we had a, it was a very traditional Mexican family my my cousins lived upstairs it was an old house that had three basically three levels my cousins lived up the above me a whole bunch of cousins and then above them my grandmother and and some uncles and aunts and and all of a sudden this you know, big Irish white guy shows up he doesn't speak English I didn't speak Spanish I mean I didn't speak English he didn't speak Spanish so my world just suddenly radically changed. Next thing I know, we're moving into a boat on the river, on the Sacramento River, a houseboat. And nobody speaks English. I'm going to a school. I started a school where you were hit if you spoke Spanish. They would hit you if you spoke Spanish. So I had to sit in the back of the classroom. I got put in special ed because they thought I was slow or something it was i didn't speak english you know i couldn't understand anything yeah and wow. so all of a sudden my world just got flipped upside down you know yeah. and that was then the moving started you know wow okay okay that's that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day <laughs> wow um so let me tell you what sticks out to me about just what you said so far yeah so you know how so keep in mind you know, for, you're new to me, right? You're new yeah. to Los Angeles in a sense, yeah. you're new to our ministry. And so I'm I'm seeing you from afar. You know, yeah. I, I'm seeing someone, a couple um, who has come in, into our ministry after, you know, a ministry split, just a devastating time yeah. for us here. But the way that you guys came in and the way that you moved our ministry forward, the way that you shepherded 
our ministry. And so, and I'm giving, I'm, I'm going somewhere with it, but uh -huh. I want you to kind of see from my vantage point. Yeah, so, yeah. So you guys are coming in, it's 2019, COVID hits. Yeah. Everything changes, but even the way you and Michelle navigated COVID and navigated leading our ministry through, through COVID, I was impressed at the way you took the reins head on. Like we talked about racism, George Floyd. You remember all, all the oh, things yeah. happening, right? Back, back, yeah. back. But you did not shy away from it. You did not pretend, right, that things were not really happening. I mean, it was head on. And that's one of the things that I respect about both of you. But hearing your story gives me a little bit more insight mm -hmm. into just, again, the man that you are. So now I can see like, okay, wow, because of how you grew up, because you, you know the feeling of being ostracized or marginalized, because you know the feeling of being bullied or you know being hurt and being yeah. in pain. like because you have experienced those things you are very familiar with those things and those experiences you can truly empathize and sympathize with people it may not be the same situation but people that are going through those same kinds of things yeah and so so i'm just like wow the other thing that I think about is who God uses, right? Like I think about the Davids, right? He's a shepherd boy, right? Away, right? When when um, Samuel comes, his dad doesn't even mention mention him, right? But yeah. I think about <laughs> him, I think about the the Josephs, right? I, there's men that amazing men that we love and respect in scripture the world you know at that time in their day may not have looked at them um, yeah. to be anything to be of any significant influence but god saw their heart and that and that's what i'm hearing as i listen to you tell just even this beginning part of your story that all of what you've gone through, and I can relate to that too. Like I think about myself, like all, all that I've gone through. Yeah. Now I can see mm. how God was using that. God used all of what you've gone through. Yeah. To be able to shepherd people, to be able to lead people, to be, and even being a radical, right? For you to be a radical then for you to connect with the radical Jesus. Like at that time, you may not have connected with the shepherd Jesus. No. I probably wouldn't have. But you connected with the Jesus who needed to get your attention. Yeah. You know, for your life yeah. to now take a drastic turn. Like that's, it's a lot. It's a lot in there. I'm like, wow, 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 wow. But how God, none of it, is lost in Christ. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So 
tell me about the day if you know if and i want to be sensitive sure uh, but tell me about the day your mom killed your dad and committed suicide like how did that day begin and how did it end for you yeah um definitely one of the hardest days of my life um you know probably really kind of the the table was set a week before my mom just showed up at my um house when i was living in san diego with a bunch of brothers and she called me and said i'm in town can we grab lunch and i was shocked because you know carson city's like 10 hours away north of us and we had lunch and basically she told me that my parents marriage had fallen apart my brother was in all kinds of trouble and and you know and i and i said well why don't you come here to san diego and we could get an apartment together or something and but she was always very like no i don't want to you know get in your way i don't want to be interfering a burden to you and and you know i just left it with that and she left and um and then a week later about about seven or eight days later and i remember it's october 10th um 1987 uh i got a phone call from my brother my my little brother and he was very uh stoic very cold and he said rob is, is this you and i said yeah yeah it's me and um he said mom and dad are dead and I, you know, you hear that, and you just it, it like just stuns you. And I, and it's what do you what do you mean? What are you talking about? And I mean, clearly he wasn't joking. Clearly he wasn't playing around. Clearly he was, you know, in, probably in shock himself. And um, you know, he said, "Yeah, mom bought a gun. Mom found out that dad was cheating on her. Confronted him, and I guess he said he was going to leave her." And she went out and bought a gun and shot him and then shot herself. And um, and that was, I mean, I don't even remember anything after that in terms of talking to my brother. I, I went in the backyard, you know, we said goodbye. I, I went in the backyard and uh, we lived on a hillside in San Diego. And I just, I was actually getting ready for a date with Michelle. Um, I had, we had just started you know, going on dates, and I really liked her, and and um, and God set all this up because I had a date with her, and our double was the the brother who actually studied the Bible with me, so knew me very well, very close friend. His name Jeff Chacon, Jeff and Lisa. We were supposed to go on a dinner date with them, and um, and I had, you know, spent the typical Saturday doing chores all morning, doing some homework, cleaning the car, getting all ready. And then I get that call about an hour before I'm supposed to pick up Michelle. And or maybe a couple hours because I went in the backyard and I just cried. I just cried. I cried to God. I cried. I, I, I don't think I've ever cried so deeply or so like my whole body was crying, my mind, my heart, everything. I was... I remember sitting there just thinking it it hurts to breathe. It hurts to be alive right now. I don't even want to be alive. And um and 
I still went on the date, you know, I still got myself together and I went and picked up Michelle, I told her what happened and, and um, told the brother, the, the couple what happened. And we just went down to the beach and we all, the four of us just sat and cried and prayed together. And um, the love was, you know, very, very uh, strong for me, surrounding me. And then, of course, the next day was church and they announced it. And that was hard. You know, that was really hard because all of a sudden now I'm the tragedy. You know, I'm the tragic story. I'm the I'm the brother whose parents died and his mom killed herself, you know, killed his dad and killed herself. And and then the worst part was calling my family that same day. That night, I called my my aunt, who's like a really close sister to my mother. And, and you know, it was just, it's, it's just the scenes that you hope you never are in, where I tell my aunt, mom, my mom's dead, and she just starts screaming on the phone. And, and then calling my cousins and telling them. And, and that was probably, honestly, that was probably the, the hardest part was just talking to my family because every time you tell somebody something like that, it becomes more real. You know, it's not like, this isn't a bad dream. This is, this is my new reality. And I remember thinking it's like somebody took the moon. My whole world has changed now. Everything is different. I'm an orphan, you know? I mean, I was 24, but all of a sudden I don't have parents to come home to. I don't have a home anymore, you know? I mean, college kids, you're bouncing around, you know, and, and you always go home for the holidays and I have no home now. And and so, you know, I we after the date, we actually um, went to one of the elders' houses or George Havens and he just prayed with me and, and uh, you know, cried with me. And it's interesting because I don't remember what anybody said to me, but I remember praying and I remember them crying with me. And um, yeah, it was just, it was uh, incredibly, incredibly painful. This pain that I can't even describe. There's no words for it. You just, you hurt from, you know, and, and a lot of people know this pain, unfortunately, who've had tragedy or somebody die, especially when it's needless especially when you know there's you know in, in one of the worst is suicide if, if anybody's ever had anybody that they love commit suicide it's it's just so heart destructive you know so it's just so such a horrible horrible thing to go through um but it did it really uh drew me closer to god and I think the, the, the incredibly powerful thing that day when I was sitting in the backyard and I was just weeping. I mean, that's the word. I can't, it's more than crying. I was weeping. And, and I felt this really intense presence next to me. And it felt like Jesus was sitting next to me with his arm around me crying with me. Wow. Wow. I felt it so strong. And I felt like he was telling me, God is crying too. And, and God is hurting. This was not his plan. This was not what was supposed to happen. I was supposed to share Jesus with my family. And they were supposed to become Christians and have the love of God. And had my mom had Jesus, 
she would have been able to get through this, you know, and and not any hint of judgment, but just compassion from Jesus, just hurting with me, you know, and and that probably in a in I mean this sounds weird to say, but that bonded me to Jesus a hundred times more, you know, that I and and I would be. I would say in pretty intense pain for the next five years of my life, but it was always with Jesus. It was the pain that I shared with him. And that, that was a fundamental shift for me, I think of how I understand God and how I understand how all this works, you know? Thank you for sharing all that you shared. Again. So my wheels are spinning right now. Hmm. Um, so I think the first thing that, that comes to mind is, you know, I'm, I'm so, or you may or may not know, but I'm, I've been on, so since my husband has died, uh -huh. the way, and I know our stories are different, but similar in the way that God just came alongside me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And for me, that was the turn in my mm. spiritual life. Yeah. Where I started to focus in on the Holy Spirit. Mm. And and so how do I say it? So in order for this tragedy to have happened. But then for you to still go on the date. Yeah. That to me has to be a Holy Spirit led decision. And the reason why I say that though is because if you think about it, <coughs> for any, and I don't even want to say normal because normal is not the word for any logical, logical yeah. thinking person. The, the logic would, would be, surely I have to cancel the day. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right, right. That's just yeah. like my world has been rocked. Yeah. Um, but I'm imagining, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm imagining you going outside in the backyard, weeping in shock. I'm just thinking of, of all the things that could be going on in your mind emotionally. But then to have God, to feel his presence right there with you, what was, what was it in your mind, in your heart to say, I'm still going to go on the date. I'm still going to fellowship with the saints. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's, you know, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting question. I'd never even really thought about it. And what's even another step of that is that four days later, I got on a plane, went to Mexico City for to be interviewed to go on a mission team. Wow. And a week in Mexico, <laughs> the week after my parents died. But but to your question, I think that that for me, the church was such a haven, such a place of love and support that 
being with Michelle, of course, somebody who I was already falling in love with, but was just a very strong Christian. And then being with Jeff, who was like my spiritual dad, and his wife was great. So that was just like, that's who I would want to be with anyways, you know? Yeah. I mean, even if I didn't have the date, I probably would have called them and they would have come over, you know? Yeah. And, and then being with George Havens, the elder, yeah, it was just, it's funny. I mean, to be honest, this sounds crazy. I never thought about it until you bring it up now that that is kind of crazy that I went on a date two hours after I found out my parents died. <laughs> but, and then to top all that off, I jump on a plane and fly to Mexico City a week later to be interviewed for the mission team. But again, I think that for me, uh, the church was just a haven. It was my family, you know, it was a, it was a functioning family where my family was largely dysfunctional, you know, yeah. and, and I think that um, anything with God was safe and comforting and encouraging. So yeah, it just, seemed like the, the thing to do it, it it didn't even hit me till years later when somebody told me i can't believe you came and interviewed a week after your parents died and i thought yeah that is pretty crazy <laughs> i should i should have been at home i mean i got back from mexico city and flew to the funeral you know um but uh yeah i think i think i just i wanted to be near god yeah that makes sense that makes sense. You know what, you know, what I think about is um, home, how, how you were saying that, you know, I had no idea that my home life, right, was, was in disarray and all these things were happening. But in my head, I'm, I'm thinking that was home for him. Like yeah. his, his, his physical family, your physical home you know your mom your dad like that has just is 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 no longer it's it yeah. is, is not anymore but you have a spiritual home a spiritual yeah. family that that is standing that will continue to stand because of god like yeah. I, that makes sense to me well, and, and sense. i yeah i could totally see that making sense to anybody like you who's lost somebody they are so connected to because I remember the other thing I told people I said I feel like the floor is gone yeah what I stand on what I'm firm on what I feel secure it's gone yeah and I don't know where to stand you know I don't know where to feel safe and I think that is what drew me to the fellowship to the brothers and sisters I was close to and to God is that all of a sudden my security was gone. You know, yeah. my base was gone. My floor was gone. Yeah. yeah. And, and anybody who's been through severe tragedy totally gets that, you know? Yeah. Wow. I forgot what, what, what my other questions were. Um, <laughs> wow, Robert. That's a lot. That's a lot, but I do love how you walked it out with God. And so I do, I'll, I'll say this and I'll move on. I am 
I'm every day just kind of chipping, chipping away at it, but I'm writing a book. I'm doing all these things, right? Uh-huh. But the, the title is Spirit Led Rebirth. And the premise, mm. though, is much of what you shared. And, th- and this is all in, in, in discovery for myself. So it's part, you know, me, me walking out, you know, being a widow and, and what that was like for me and, and how God just, I mean, blew up my world in a good, in a good way that, that yeah. he was there with me. So yeah. part of it is, is my experience, but the other part of it is discovering the heart of God. I mean, just for you to say like that sent chills to my body, like he was weeping with me. Mm-hmm. Like that is the heart of what being a spirit-led griever is about. It's truly yeah. being able to connect with the heart of God in our pain. Once I know that God feels deeply for me in my pain, yeah. I want to open up to that God. You know, I yeah. want to be free. I'm not even want to be, I'm free to be me and to share yeah. and just to grieve my way. And, yeah. and you know, however long it's going to take, you said it, it was about five years for you, right? Like however long the process is yeah. that God is in it with us. Yeah, and absolutely. That is the thing that makes all the difference, right? You know, it's it's interesting, but um, one of the exercises I do with groups that I'm doing uh, these spiritual learning uh, lab, we call them spiritual learning labs. We take a, a person through eight weeks of spiritual training, and I'm doing them like every couple of months or every about every, about every six months. But um, one of the exercises we do is I have them write a spiritual autobiography and I highly recommend this to any of you to you to your listeners is is you sit down and you just write the story of you and God and you begin with your earliest earliest memories of God and basically tell your life story of you and God and every time you think of God showing up or something happened that made you think of God or or you had a spiritual experience and you just walk through your life, your childhood, your teen years, your young adult, your wherever up to wherever you're at, and just write the story of us. And it's a very powerful thing. I've we've we've taken probably maybe 45, 50 people through this. And then I always debrief and I ask them, okay, what what did you learn from this writing this biography? And, and, and many people, there's a number of things, but the biggest thing, one of the most common things is people say that oftentimes it was in my most painful moments that God was the most real. It's when I felt his nearness most was when I was hurting most. And, and that is absolutely a truism, you know, that, that unless we're just hardened to God and refuse to see him, if we're at all open, we become so much more aware of God when we're in pain. It's generally, if you're to sit down and write, what are the best times of prayer I've ever had? It's usually when we were grieving or we were weeping about something or somebody hurt us or or something difficult, you know, it's when we draw near to God. And 
you know, and that's just, that's a powerful thing. I mean, that's, that, that, uh, I think that was the first time I really saw how much I need God. Yes. And then honestly, working at Hope Worldwide, and I'm in literally the poorest places on the planet. You know, I mean, I was in places in India that they're the poorest of the in, in, of communities of the country, in South America and Africa. And and what I kept seeing again and again is what people most need is God, because they one they've lost all sense of value. They they feel completely worthless and in large part because they do not feel loved by anybody they feel completely unloved and and i thought gosh that's or i think about this i think that's they would rather be loved than be fed they would rather be loved than be have a glass of water when they're dying of thirst they they just need God. And that's, I feel like that's, there it is, you know, when we're in pain, when we're suffering, we use, we many times see our need for God. And we open our eyes and lo and behold, we see God, we experience God, we become aware. And the truth is, he's always been there. He's never been far. Even when you're in deep darkness, God can see in the darkness and he's there. But we so often just are completely unaware but in moments of pain when all of a sudden we reach out and i think like that was i know you you know i want to jump the gun on your questions but i know that that was a theological turning point for me you know yes. was that god's really with me yes 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 i get it i get it i love it um so this is the last thing I'm going to say. I'm going to move yeah. on. And I know you're saying, you know, I've been to the poorest of places. And they need God. They need love. They need God. But I can see that, let's just say, in in United States, right? Just, just yeah. coming in contact with, with people. And I'm specifically saying in their pain. Yeah. People want to know that there is a place that they can call home, that there is a tribe for them to belong. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh yeah. That is, that is the need of the hour. There's no magic formula. There's no, you know, like yeah. that is the formula, right? That is yeah. the formula. like love for that's been my download from the Holy spirit to me. And I can always be like, well, God, what, you know, what am I doing? What, how I need the blueprint. I need to know how to make this work. I need to know how to build this. And God is just like, Daisha, the framework is love. Yeah. That's all yeah. you need to build. And yeah. so yeah, I love it. Love it. Love yeah. it. Um, okay. So this is my last question. Sure. Uh, the podcast is about being thrown into a season you were not prepared for, uh, but eventually discovered that Jesus is always the way. And so, and we kind of touched on it a little bit, so, you know, you can, yeah. you can answer as you wish, but what was it like navigating this time in your life and specifically, what did you learn about yourself? And what did you learn about the heart and character of God? Yeah, yeah. I I think that that um 
I think I, I, I was ushered into an understanding of God's love that was far deeper and far richer than I even imagined, you know? I mean, I, when I became a Christian, I fell in love with Jesus and how he loved everybody, you know, that he was, if anything, you could say he kind of showed a preference for the poor and the suffering, you know, I mean, that's who he was hanging out with. Um, and I just loved that about him. And I felt, but I think I, I, I didn't fully grasp his love for me more. I could grasp his love for people and the suffering and the hurting of the world. And I was drawn to that, but I don't think I got that he really loved me, you know, or, or maybe I just took it for granted. But boy, when that happened and I felt his love and I realized that, that he hurts over all this garbage in the world, that he hurts with me, you know, when I hurt, he hurts. That was radically new for me. And and in in a in a weird way, I realized that it's okay for me to hurt. It's okay for me to have problems and to need help. Because I think I was in a mode of I've just got to fix everything. I've got to change the world. I've got to be strong and got it together. And and I kind of thought that's what a Christian was supposed to be, the one who's got it all together the light of the world is going to fix everything so you're perfect so you can perfect everything but I, I i realized that no i'm i'm broken too and he loves me too and that was the first time i you know that parable of the banquet that's the first time i began to realize even the poor the blind and the lame i thought i was the business guy who was really busy i'm actually the blind guy i'm the lame guy and man it's good to be at the banquet when you're invited and wanted you know and i think so that was just allowing myself to be okay with that you know it's okay i'm lame and god loves me you know and i think since then i've just continued learning more and more how lame i am you know <laughs> and especially in these last few years doing my doctorate realizing that that i got a lot of problems i'm broken all over the place but it also makes me realize how great god's love is and and it gives me hope for everybody even as i despair over the world and where it's at and what's happening out there but i know god's love is bigger than that and i know the power of love and and so that's that's that is what helps me navigate through all this you know and and it's what helped me then but it's like i would say i had an acorn knowledge of god's love that all of a sudden the acorn busted open a little plant started growing and now it's a tree for me you know and it's still growing you know but but it, it, it changes everything I think about religion, being a Christian, the church, what we're here about, and what is, what is evangelism? It's just sharing God's love. It's not getting people to church. 
It's sharing God's love. What is the church? It's the people who love, and, and that love is a light to the world, you know? So it just, it, it really, it was a complete, it was the beginning of a complete paradigm shift for me. So, so this is, this is what kind of stands out. Cause so my thought, you have to like, my thoughts are just like, <laughs> but, uh, and trying to hone it in. So I, you know, the Holy spirit, right. So his role, right. His role is to comfort and to guide, right. Yeah. But how when we when we do not accept that or i'll speak for myself when when i do not accept that that i am a mess my life is a mess i am broken you know i there's so many things that hurt me and i'm i'm emotional just i just that's it's in my dna like i'm highly emotional i always been but when i don't take all of that to god yeah i hinder the holy spirit from doing his job in my yeah life, yeah life and that's to comfort me you know to, yeah. to guide me through it right and to to show me the way and to teach me right and all the things all his role i i he can't console what i, what I don't release yeah. right yeah. The, the older that I get as a Christian, the more I understand that I am nothing. It highlights, to your point, the love of God. Absolutely. That's, that's the thing, is you don't really know the depth and the width and the height of God's love until you know the depth and the width and the height of your need, how weak I am how sinful I am. And I don't mean sinful like, oh, you terrible person. I mean sinful like, I'm just, I'm egotistical. I'm selfish. I'm grouchy. I'm all these things that I, that are not what I want to be. And, and But that just shows you all the more how much God loves you, how patient he is. But you can't really know that unless you're willing to be that honest, that vulnerable, you know? Agreed. And that's what the spiritual journey, this is the biggest thing I'm learning now in the spiritual journey is to, as David said, to, I desire truth in the inner parts. Yes. I just want to be really honest. When I'm scared, I'm scared. When I'm mad, I'm mad. When I'm down, I'm down. And God is with me. Yes. And he helps me to be better. You know, he helps me to get through it. And, and I think though that, from what I'm seeing is it's like people are so busy and they got the music blaring and they've got running around like crazy and Jesus is standing there knocking at the door and nobody hears them. So when they go through tragedy, they're by themselves and they're not opening the door. They're not letting them help him. You know, they're not letting the Holy spirit do his thing because they're running, they're going, their music's blaring, they're watching, they're staring at their phone. They they don't see God, you know? Yes, yes, and he's, yes. he's there to comfort us. He's there to get us through it. And that is every tragedy, every pain that we go through 
It's an opportunity to draw nearer and closer and be intimate with God. He's there. And seeking God isn't like you got to go find him. It's just he's there. It's just opening our eyes and becoming aware. And how much better life is with God, you know? That's how Jesus could say, my burden is light and easy. It's like most of my Christian life is like, what? Not very light and easy to me. Yeah. <laughs> what part of town do you live in? <laughs> yeah. Uh, amen. I could go on. So I just know that. But our time is coming to a close. Thank you. Thank you. So much. Thank so you for much. what you're doing, Daisha. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. I, um, I'll shut up. I'll shut up. <laughs> I'll just marinate on, on the conversation. Um, is there anything that you would like to shout out? If, if you're into something, you want to promote something, you want people to connect with you, like yeah. how, what, what are you into? What are you doing right now? Well, I think, you know, I'm, uh, uh, you know, besides leading the region, <laughs> the church, I'm, I'm uh, building this website ministry, The Way Ministry. It's okay. thewayministry.global, thewayministry.global. Okay. And um, it's all things spiritual formation, you know, how to pray, how to meditate, how to be with God. And, and I think anybody, especially going through a major transition in life, or going through a difficult, painful time in life, there's all kinds of things there to help you, you know, that, that help me, you know, definitely help me. And, and so, yeah, it's, God is there, you know, he's there, he's here, he's right here. Okay. Holy Spirit's right here. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Awesome. So I will put the link in the show. Is the okay. website up and running? Yeah, it's up and running. Yep. Okay. Okay. I will definitely put it in the show notes. And again, Robert, thank you so much thank you. for being a guest on the podcast today. And to the widow, I go from here community. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. I hope that you were as encouraged as I am to hear Robert's story and testimony of how God is always there. And until the next time, folks. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it, rate it, and write a review. I would greatly appreciate it. You can also leave me a personal message. There's a button that says message, and it will allow you to leave me a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. Episodes are released on the first Wednesday of every month. To check out what I'm up to, please visit me at widowigofromhere.com. And until the next time, bye for now. Mm -hmm.